Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 96 of Toe in the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. It is pitching discussion each and every week with the five-time World Series champ, the former Cy Young Award winner, David Cohn, the research ace, James Smythe, myself, Justin Shackle, our terrific producer, Dan Work, with us as well. Hope everyone's 4th of July was better than the Angels. Uh, guys, that's because the bulk of this show is going to uh, figure to be on the Halos, focusing on two of the best players in the game. Angels got some rough news with Mike Trout. So I know this is a pitching podcast, but we'll touch in on that, touch in on their future in the immediate and also in the long term. Uh, we'll pick our all-star starters for the Midsummer Classic coming up, tackle some other questions. We'll address some Yankee topics as well. David, you're living large out in the Hamptons. How was your 4th of July, man? It was good, man. It was, uh, you know, there's no Sunday night baseball coming up this week. So um, I got a little lull on my schedule and Headed out east. I'm trying to find Keith Hernandez. I know he's in Sag Harbor. I may just try to go knock on his door and see see, see if he's around, and especially over the next over the All Star break. Were you uh, Were you invited to that that white party that was just like that massive congregation of every like A list celebrity? I forgot Hamptons? my white outfit. You know, oh. I didn't have any that. I'm, I'm a black and gray guy, so you know, I, I didn't have my white outfit. But yeah, I've, I've I've been to that party before. Yeah, it's quite a scene. It's wild. No, I was with James in the uh, in the Yankee booth on Fourth of July. So uh, we saw some fireworks on on Friday night at the stadium. Cool spot there. Uh, I was all Fourth of July out. I just all I wanted to do after the game was go home and uh, get some rest. So uh, we're recharged, ready to roll post July Fourth, heading into the All Star break. Like we said, we're going to touch on the Angels here, just their standing with everything that's swirling around the organization, injuries, the trade deadline coming up, the future of Shohei Otani. That's going to be a big topic. But first of all, we start off with the opener each and every week. David, what do you have for us? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, the Yankees have been doing their hope week for for several years now. It's kind of the brainchild of Jason Zillow, the PR director at, with the Yankees for several years. And, you know, I wanted to throw some love to Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, a uh, young uh, researcher who's highly regarded in her field as, as James knows uh, works for ESPN grew up in New York big baseball fan Mets fans been to Yankee games too as well so uh, the Yankees honored her Sarah Langs and uh, a very poignant uh, service from what I saw on TV uh, at Yankee Stadium and uh, you know it just uh, it, it's a stark reminder not only the Yankees do great work with their hope week but ALS all the way back to Lou Gehrig Still looking for recognition, still looking for for awareness, still looking for a cure. You know, after all these years, going all the way back to Lou Gehrig, Catfish Hunter, part of that family too as well. Catfish uh, you know, ended up dying from complications of ALS or he had an accident actually and fell once he started to lose mobility. So there's a strong connection, obviously, with the, with the Yankee family. And what they did for Sarah Langs, uh, who we all know and all love, uh, I thought was just just tremendous to, to see her honored, rightly so. And women, too, put a spotlight on women with ALS. That kind of goes under the radar because, as I said before, it goes back to Lou Gehrig and it's kind of a male-dominated disease, so to speak. But there are a lot of women who suffer with ALS. And Sarah Langs is doing more to shine a spotlight on that cause than just about anybody, probably since the Ice Bucket Challenge. P. P Frady's, uh, 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 did uh, was the brainchild of the Ice Bucket Challenge from a several years ago that raised a, a lot of money uh, for ALS research. Uh, Sarah Lang's doing the same thing on her in her own right and uh, raising awareness and money for ALS. I tip your cap to the Yankees. Their, their hope week is 
amazing. Uh, they're in their 14th year doing Hope Week. Hope Week stands for helping others persevere and excel. And like David said, on July 4th, it was focused on uh, honoring Sarah Langs and some other members of the uh, Her ALS Story organization. They had them all out at Yankee Stadium before the game. They took a tour of Monument Park. They were in the Yankee Museum at Yankee Stadium. Sarah actually tried on a game-worn hat from Lou Gehrig. Uh, she she was able to you know hold Lou Gehrig's bat. That's all happening on the 84th anniversary of Lou Gehrig's Luckiest Man speech. And Sarah is always smiling. And you, you know, we, we, we think of ALS and it's such a, a, a rough disease to think about, to talk about, but her, her bubbling spirit, her always positive demeanor, it, it really puts things in perspective. And it was really also cool to see uh, Garrett Cole uh, honor her with her own t-shirt. Obviously her, you know, her baseball is the best saying, uh, Rotoware, everyone, all the good people at Rotoware, they made that terrific t-shirt. Uh, you can get it there at Rotoware, but uh, they had the entire Yankee team sign it. They surprised her parents, whom she says, you know, that's where she gets her baseball fandom from, her passion from, her parents uh, for her love of the game. They had her mother and father throw out the first pitch before their July 4th game against the Orioles. So uh, awesome day all around. Big applause to the Yankees there. And James, I know I'm kind of maybe, you know, maybe putting on the spot here. It's not something we discussed, but just from your, you know, your research circle of, of colleagues around the baseball industry, we always hear about Sarah, like how good of a researcher is Sarah Langs? She's a, she's a total rock star in, in our field. And, um, you know, I know that when, you know, I'm, if sometimes I'll be, you know, beaten to the punch on a note, something about the Yankees or something about MLB, but I see she, she beats me to the punch there. I'll say, ah, you know, you just tip your cap to Sarah and move on and say, well, that, that's why she's the best. Yeah. Uh, again, one wonderful week for the Yankees. They do a lot of, a lot of good for a lot of people with their hope week. And uh, that was uh, highlighted on July 4th with Sarah for sure. People more tone. The slab is coming up, but first I need to tell you about how you can hit it out of the park. This baseball season with DraftKings Sportsbook. new customers can place a $5 bet and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus all customers can take a shot at bigger payouts with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, sign up with code SLAB, that's S-L-A-B, and new customers can bet just 5 bucks and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SLAB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text hope ny in Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 or plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Opt-in and 10-plus leg requirement for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. Uh, the Angels will be without Mike Trout, gentlemen, for an extended period of time. He suffered a hammock fracture in his hand. And if you were watching their 4th of July game in San Diego against the Padres, Shohei Otani was on the mound. He was pulled from his start early because of a blister. 
And I guess to a lesser extent, Anthony Rendon was on crutches after the game, after fouling a pitch off his shin. No real indication on if he'll be missing time at the time we're recording this. But as the Angels have dropped 7 of 10, they are above 500. But on the outside, looking in at the wild card race, everything's still early. Everything's still bunched up, we know. But everyone wants to know if the Angels will now entertain trade offers for Shohei Otani. What is the practical approach here for this organization over the next few weeks leading up to the trade deadline? Well, they, th those two words don't go together very well right now in terms of the uh, the Angels and practical. You know, that, I don't I don't see that working because, you know, that, that's not a knock. It's just sort of the situation they found that they find themselves in. Perry Maniason, the general manager, he wants to win. He wants to keep Otani. His job's on the line. Phil Nevin, the, the, the field manager, he, he's not thinking about uh, the future. He's thinking about right here, right now. His job's on the line. These guys, both the general manager and the field manager, they need to win now. That That's what their mandate is. So I guarantee you they want no part of talking about rebuilding or trading or anything of that sort. That's not in their DNA. That's not what they're they're hired for right now. Their mandate right now is to get to the postseason. Uh, that's going to come from above. If Artie Moreno, the owner, finally pulls the plug, then he's the one who's going to drive the bus here and really force them into this position of, okay, let's, let's, let's field offers, let's really do this thing, and let's trade Shohei Otani. And that would send off a frenzy of offers. We saw it a little bit, you know, with uh, with, with Soto in, in in the Marlins. I mean, you know, I mean obviously the Nationals, uh, Juan Soto, when he was traded. That sent out kind of a, some offers that were pretty creative. But I just don't know if it happens. Artie Moreno's a hard guy to read, the owner. He had the franchise up for sale and then changed his mind and pulled them off the market or didn't like wh what the offers were or decided to, to just hang in there a little bit longer. So – if he's back in the game and he wants to stay, I still think their best shot is to try to sign Shohei Otani and get to postseason somehow, some way. Now, you're right, Jack. Everything's up in the air now with Mike Trout out for an extended period of time. So, you know, open up the discussion. I st I'm still gun shy on the Angels pulling the plug on Otani. That is just the ultimate white flag. I, I, I don't know if they have it in them, even though practically speaking, they should probably listen to offers at this point. Yeah, they probably should. And, and just last week we, we were talking and I was saying maybe this is the year we could actually believe with them, you know, maybe taking advantage of the Astros having a down year compared to how well they've done. But now they've they've slumped further. They're only a couple games over 500. They're four games back in the wild card on fan graphs. Their playoff odds have dipped under 20 percent. And you start to say, well, so much of their hopes are tied to Trout and Otani. And even if Otani's blister is not a long-term injury the way trouts is well what's their path how how do they you know go on a little run here without trout and otani so the one way you could pull this off is if you do trade otani at the end of the month with the understanding that you are going to go all out to try and bring him back this winter so i think that's the the only way the angels can do it i figured going into this that they'd be crazy to trade him but now that they're falling out of it more and more and now you don't have trout one of the best players in the sport for the next couple months say well maybe you just try to get what you can and then reset not a full teardown or anything but you just reset this winter and say okay we're going to give it another go yeah david what do you do if you're the player and what james is talking about happens the team sits you down and say hey look we don't have Mike Trout right now. We're not getting the results that we thought we were getting. 
we're going to trade you. But the purpose of us trading you is because we want to re-sign you after the season. We want to talk a contract with you. We want to, you know, pretty much give you what you need, what you want. But we also want to surround you with assets. The best way for us to do that is to trade you right now for the rest of the season. If you're a player and you're hearing that, how much of it do you, do you actually take in being so close to free agency? Well, first and foremost, I think um, ownership, and when you're in this position, you have to be very careful of collusion. So phrasing it that way is, is a little problematic. You know, you could, when I was in that same position with the Mets and they traded me, they sort of alluded to the fact that, hey, we'll be one of the other teams that will be bidding on free agents. But it was very, it was very obscure. So you have to be really careful. And in terms of planning and coordinating with a particular player where management and player get together and concoct this sort of plan your borderline collusion at that point so you have to be very careful now with all that being said there's ways of getting your point across to to the client in this case Shohei Otani I'm not sure how that plays out there's always risk involved if Shohei goes somewhere else and falls in love with another organization he's never been with anybody else maybe he has a long run in postseason wherever he ends up in terms of this hypothetical trade yeah there's still risk involved if, if you're the angels I mean he's your property you're still making money just on fannies in the seat, ratings on television. Once he goes, that tanks, uh, you know, in your local market. So, you know, the, the, there's a lot to measure here. There's a lot to weigh. I'm not sure the, the, the you know, the, the mentality of Otani, what he would think about that if they traded him and how that would impact his decision-making moving forward. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the angels do it. I'm not sure they, they, they're all connected enough on the same page to do it. Like say a Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner were when they traded to Roldis Chapman mm -hmm. uh, and Andrew Miller back, you know, five, well, however many years ago it was back in the mid 2000s, 2015 or 16, I believe it was. Uh, um, when they pulled that trigger, uh, they were all on the same page and they all understood what they were trying to do. I'm not sure the angels are there, you know, in their hierarchy on down through their field manager. You mentioned the trade with Chapman. Yankees got a, a prospect haul, which included Glaber Torres for Aroldis Chapman. They re-signed Chapman uh, in the offseason after he reached the World Series with the Cubs. So a similar situation there. Obviously not to as big of an extent as it could be with a talent like Shahi Otani. Bottom line, the next four weeks are very crucial for perhaps the next five to seven years for the LA Angels. Uh, Shahi Otani is heading to the all-star game there was thought maybe he could potentially start but that blister that forced him from his start uh, the other night probably is going to prevent him from taking the mound he could still dh and the jury's still out what he will actually do what his status is for the midsummer classic but gentlemen i want to know as we are less than a week away from the all-star game who are you picking to start in the midsummer classic from each league Wow. Uh, yeah, I have to, I have to really sit down and look at, you know, if you really want to get into the predictive business on starting pitchers in the all-star game, you really got to look at schedules and workloads and see who's lined up and, you know, how they feel about it. Um, you know, I, for me, you know, I still say a big name, I think, you know, and since the Yankees are underrepresented potentially, and there's actually even a case for maybe a couple of shuns on the Yankee side, maybe Glaber Torres possibly could have been in there. Uh, over Whit Merrifield, certainly, you know, debatable questions. Garrett Cole, I think, of the Yankees, you know, would be a good choice. He's a prominent figure, high-paid athlete, 
you know, been on top of his profession for a long time. Well known. I think he'd be a great name to start the all-star game. I'm not sure of his work schedule and, and how that's going to play out down the stretch. James probably has a little better understanding of that. Well, he's lined up to start Saturday against the Cubs. And uh, there's always plenty of Saturday pitchers that do pitch or start uh, in, in the midsummer classic. Now for the Sunday starters, that's where those guys are scratched from the game and they get replaced. But Cole has as good a case as anyone in the American league. Now that, that Shane McClanahan is, is on the IL and I would have liked to see Otani. Cause I was looking forward to the first at bat of the game being Shohei Otani against Luis Arise. We'll have to put that uh, on ice for now, but Cole has as, as good a case as anyone. He's leading the American league in baseball reference, pitching war at 3.4. He's sixth in ERA. He's fourth in wins. He's in the top five in just about every pitching category. Another guy with a, a really good case is Framber Valdez of the Astros, who had a who was scratched from his last start, but he should be okay to to make his next one. And he might be uh, in the mix to start the game. He's leading the American League with a two four nine ERA. And the other big thing is when you win the pennant, one of the perks is that your manager is at the helm for the next year's All Star Game. So Dusty Baker is piloting the American League team, and maybe he could even pick his own guy from Valdez. I think that is the deciding factor right there because I was torn trying to choose between Cole and Valdez. Again, without McClanahan, the, the field's a little bit more open there, but those are the two that I came down to. And I thought, oh, well, Dusty Baker's running the show here. He's probably going to go with his guy, and you can't blame him. I mean, I look for consistency over the course of the first half of the season with the starting pitcher. So if they have, you know, two or three blips, uh, that raises a red flag for me. I don't know. And, and obviously this is all very, you know, trivial, but uh, but Framber Valdez has had sub three RAs every month this season. He's pretty much been this version of himself for a season and a half now. So I, I would say the signs point to Framber Valdez in the American League. What about the National League, guys? I would throw one more American League name in there. Nathan Avaldi might be a wild card. Yeah. He's had a had a really good year. Uh, on the National League side, I think you know you got to go to the Cubs rotation. There's a couple of guys there you could pick: Marcus Stroman, or actually Justin Steele's kind of a, arrived from last year. He kind of announced himself last year, developed a little cutter. You know, you didn't know what you were watching last year. This year, you kind of know what you're watching. This guy can pitch a little bit. He's a really good left-handed starter. So certainly, uh, I start right there with the Cubs. Probably give it to Strowman, Marcus Strowman at this point. Strowman's having a great year. He slipped behind Bryce Elder and Clayton Kershaw on uh, for the uh, National League ERA lead. He's been leading for most of the year, but he slipped to third. No big deal. He's at 276. He's having a phenomenal season. Justin Steele, like you said, Coney, really kind of under the radar. Really good pitcher. Uh, the last Cubs pitcher to start the All-Star game was Claude Passo in 1946. That is by far the longest drought without an all-star game starting pitcher for any team. The next longest is the Pirates, who go back to 1975 with Jerry Royce. So maybe Stroke and, or Justin Steele could end that uh, drought for the Cubbies there. Uh, I like Spencer Strider. Just you, you want that electricity, a young fireballer going up against the top of that American League lineup. He's another good choice. Zach Allen is having a phenomenal year in Arizona. There are so many great pitchers out there that, you know, whether you're Rob Thompson, whether you're Dusty Baker, you, you could take you take your pick and you got a, a lot of great pitchers to choose from. Kershaw yes. himself. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Crowded field. 
uh, in the National League. Yeah, Kershaw is going to you know be on the injured list, so he he's taken out of the mix. Although he was selected to to be in the All Star game, right. I'll go with Steele. Mix it up, so we have three different answers. Nine and two. Uh, for, for whatever reason, with, with the All Star game, I know win loss record isn't everything for a pitcher, and it's not much of anything these days. But I, for whatever reason, I like to have that. I like to see that. Nice clean line when the lower third comes on the television screen and flashes the the starting pitchers stacked. So the you know the nine and two record does it for me with Steele, but obviously all the other important pitching stats he's met there as well. He's been consistent, and even with that that drought with a Cubs All Star starting pitcher, he's from a, a premier franchise, and people may disagree with me, but I think that does matter in certain circumstances. Maybe in a year where it's kind of like a pick'em where you can't really go wrong with a National League starter, maybe having someone from a premier franchise like the Cubs, a Stroman, a Steele, uh, I think that could be valuable here for the Midsummer Classic. So Steele is it for me with the National League. Um, second half, you know, in terms of games played, I mean, we're already into the second half of the season, but the unofficial second half starts after the All-Star break. Nevertheless, guys, which pitchers are you buying stock in for the second half of the season? It's so unpredictable, right? I mean, when you go up and down, um, you know, to me, the, the the underlying theme and the way we've seen the, the reliever market shape up or begin to shape up uh, is that the overall depth of pitching is so important. That's what the Yankees have told us, have taught us the first half, you know, in terms of maybe guys you haven't heard of. But when you compare the Yankees and the Mets, the Mets had a meltdown because they couldn't use their main relievers one night. And Gary Cohen, the the play-by-play guy for the Mets, went off on an epic rant about Buck Showalter trying to stay away from his best relievers and costing the Mets an important game. Well, how many times have we seen the Yankees pitch with their fifth or sixth best reliever, whether it's Jimmy Cordero or, or Abreu or somebody coming in and getting the job done? You have to have overall depth. You have to use everybody. There's going to be load management. Most uh, franchises are going to protect their relievers from three or four days in a row. You've got to you got to try to, to think of the long run. So to me, when you look at the overall depth of the relievers, it still comes down to the Yankees have the best so far this year. And the Astros as well, if they can get <clears throat> certainly, uh, you know, um, you know, Presley at the end is still throwing high speed breaking balls, still closing out games. They still have depth in their overall pitching staff. Uh, there's a couple guys that have struggled that may be looking for a rebound in the second half. But, you know, to me, I, I think that's the story of the Yankees really is their pitching staff has saved them so far and kept them in the races, in particular, their bullpen. Or if you're looking for someone who, I don't know if you want to say maybe under, underperformed in the first half, but still looks good under the hood and you're thinking, all right, well, maybe uh, you can buy a little uh, uptick in the second half. I like Zach Wheeler. You look at his ERA and it's 403, which isn't really like Zach, the Zach Wheeler we all know and love. So his ERA plus is 107. So he's just a little bit above average. However, he's leading the National League with a 283 fielding independent pitching, which is a, an estimate of ERA based on walks, strikeouts, home runs, things that take the the vagaries of batted ball and plays and bloops and stuff that, that might go one way or the other. So Wheeler, someone who you think maybe he's been a bit unlucky in the first half and maybe that'll balance out in the second half. A lot of his stat cast metrics are right around where he, he's been 
in in his career. And last year he had a 2.82 ERA. All of a sudden it's 4.03 this year. But I think under the hood he's a guy that you can rely on. Very similar story for Pablo Lopez, who's had a couple of bumpy starts, but uh, the 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 stuff is still there. All right, I was thinking about Wheeler James, but I'm taking it to an even bigger extreme, fellas. Uh, and I'm I'm buying like 30 cents on the dollar with this this stock pick. I am buying stock in Alec Manoa. Uh, I think the Blue Jays are going to have a big run in them at some point in the second half, because if they don't, we are going to look at this year as a major disappointment in Toronto with all the talent they have. And Manoa, right at the top of that list, he is making his return to the big leagues on Friday against the Detroit Tigers. He pitched in double A this past Sunday. He struck out 10 batters. I know he had a huge clunker in like a rookie level game against some Yankee teenagers down in Florida, but the the Blue Jays weren't really paying attention to the results as much as the changes that had been going on under the hood, so to speak, behind the curtain with Alec Manoa down at Toronto's training facility. Blue Jays say that he has made a mechanical tweak based on the pitcher that he was, a top three Cy Young winner from just a year ago. It is easy for me to believe in that. So if the Blue Jays go on a run, Manoa is going to play a big part in that. I'm going to buy stock in uh, Alec Manoa because it's probably really cheap right now if it was on an actual market. Wow. That's that's some pick, but you know what? What a difference a day makes. Two starts ago, you mentioned that uh, Florida Coast, the the Gulf Coast League. Yeah. uh, June 27th, he gave up 11 runs in the lowest level of rookie ball. And then he comes back. They brought him up to double A New Hampshire. And on Sunday, five innings, one run, three walks, 10 strikeouts. And he looked like the old Alec Manoa, so maybe they just wanted to see that that one game and say, yep, you snapped him back into place, and you might as well see what you have out there and see if you can build on this. The Blue Jays, I still, you look at the Blue Jays, you say, are they the most talented team in the American League East? You're just waiting for them to go on a run. Yeah. If I have to pick one starter as I'm late to the dance on this particular question, um, I'm going to pick Lucas Giolito, who's going to get traded by the White Sox and have an incredible run. He's going to be reborn on a new team in a pennant race. I think his stuff looks pretty good right now. He's had a decent first half anyway, so I don't know if that's a rebound candidate or not. But nonetheless, if you're buying a stock, you know, as you guys said, you know, Giolito, I'm going to take a flyer on Lucas Giolito with the assumption he's going to end up somewhere else. It's another good pick. The, the strikeout and walk rates are in the right place. Uh, good bounce back already because he had an ERA pushing five last year, but now he's around three and a half. He's durable. He's answered the bell for each start this year. So there's another guy. I don't know what the the starting pitching market is really going to look like come the deadline. There isn't that Luis Castillo type of guy, but Lucas Giolito might end up being the best starter dealt at the deadline. Yeah, he might be the closest one to it. Uh, and that, that transitions beautifully to my next question, guys, because we did see one trade go off over the last week or so. Aroldis Chapman was the first uh, big trade, first big pitcher being dealt. The Royals pulling the trigger. What did the Aroldis Chapman trade to the Texas Rangers maybe teach us about the reliever market, the pitching market as a whole? We mentioned Giolito here. Could could that happen sooner rather than later or is that something that will develop as we get really close to the trade deadline what do you think it, it's such a hard market to read i mean look at how the yankees got clay holmes an under the radar like guy and 
you know, it was sort of at the time people were thinking, why did they pick Clay Holmes when they could have traded for, you know, there were other any number of other names that might have been higher, higher profile. Well, they knew what they saw on Clay Holmes. He had an electric arm and an electric sinker, so they knew they could work with him. But those are the kind of trades you look for relievers, guys that are kind of obscure. Wait, wait a minute. Uh, get them under a different coaching staff, a different analytics department, throw this pitch more, tweak your grip this way, pitch design. Those are the kind of under-the-radar moves I think we, we, we've become accustomed to. Uh, the Chapman trade says more about Texas than it does about the market, in my mind. I mean, the Texas Rangers are for real. I mean, they have tremendous resources. They're tremendously motivated. They've had a great start. Bruce Bochy's there for one reason, to win and win alone. That, that, you know, that trade was about Texas going, you know what, I'm pulling the trigger. We're going to get this guy right now, get a little extra time out of him. If we've got to give up a, a, a better prospect or, or whatnot, you have to evaluate the prospects that were in that trade to, to really know. But nonetheless, it, it's a, the Rangers are not messing around, and they have tremendous money and resources to do any move they want to move do right now, as evidenced by the recent free agent market signings. You know, their whole middle infielder was one, one offseason. You know, Simeon and Seager. And a ton of money at them, and it's paying off for them. So Texas is emboldened by the success they've had with their previous moves. That you know that move from Chapman was more about them than the than, than the reliever market. I guess the the other main thing you could take out of it is that the the tr- trade season is is earlier. It's the trade season is, season has already begun. We're not quite at the All Star break yet, but if the the Rangers are thinking, hey, we why not get an extra four or five weeks out of someone where the Astros are going to be hot on their heels for the rest of the summer, we need every win we can get. So if you can get a jump on the market and maybe snatch someone off a team before other teams really got focused on, on the trade season. So I think it's a, it's a good way to, to get a head start on things when you're not sure who, how many teams are really folding up the tent this year, who's going to be available. It it might be a a shortage of arms where everybody is going to be desperate for pitching. All right, James and David, let's get into some Yankees discussion here and focusing on the pitching staff, which in large part has been what has been keeping this team afloat here in 2023. The rotation, it seems like it's only going to be getting stronger. Carlos Rodon on his way back, making his season debut, his Yankee debut on Friday. We're seeing positive signs from Nestor Cortez, though his return is a little bit further down the road. But I want to focus in on some of the guys that are currently in that Yankee starting rotation. Luis Severino has really struggled over the last month. He has an ERA over eight over his last six starts. And I'm wondering, because I think the whispers are getting louder, has Luis Severino really become the weak link on this Yankees pitching staff? What are you seeing, David? Well, it's 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 a cause for concern, without a doubt. Um you know, you're always worried about his overall health. Is he feeling okay because of his history of injuries and the, the lat injury that he had earlier? Is that start, you know, you're always worried. Is that going to rear its head again? Um, what I will say with Luis Severino, the Yankees will do everything they can to, to build him up. And if he becomes the weak link, then all the more reason for them to showcase him because he could be a potential piece to be moved at the trade deadline as well. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. If the Yankees think they're covered, and they have another piece they can add, whether it's an outfielder or whatever they're looking for in terms of depth on the roster. Luis Severino could be a trade piece, too, if he can get a couple more good starts and before before the deadline now. Uh, with that being said, I still think they feel like his power potential is, is a playoff caliber starter. 
he's a guy that you would plug in to get a third or a four start in postseason if he's right. And a guy who could dominate a guy who could with his power uh, repertoire could be a guy that you would, you would plug into a postseason rotation. So it could go either way, but I don't see them pulling the plug, you know, anytime soon and getting him out of the rotation, especially before the trade deadline. Now, post trade deadline, you know, any, anything can happen once Nestor gets back at that point, And then we'll see Clark Schmidt continues to, to improve and develop, uh, you know, it, it, it's a possibility, but, He's Luis is still a guy that can mow through seven innings, seven or eight innings. You know, he's not a five and fly guy. You know, if he's right, he's a postseason starter and he's a guy that can get deep into the games. Generally, he always retained his velocity, you know, but it's cause for concern. Certainly you have to be concerned because of his fastball and how it's been, how it's been uh, sort of taken advantage of in terms of not just how it's getting hit. And then the velocity check on him as well. The velocity is there. You know, it's 96 and a half. And I'm stumped because the fastball has been getting tattooed. And right when you think he might've turned a corner with a really good start against the highest scoring team in the majors, when he shut down the Texas Rangers and won one to nothing, then he takes another step back. So he's going to have, he's pitching the finale of the Orioles series on Thursday. It's another good look at him. And then you can get the, uh, a nice little break coming out of the all-star break and you can maybe get a few starts out of him going into the deadline I'm not giving up on him because, Coney, like you said, the, the, the best version of this Yankee rotation down the stretch and in a potential playoff series to me is Cole, Rodone, and Severino and Nestor Cortez. That's, if those guys are all right and healthy, that's as good a four as anyone in the league. I completely agree with that line. The best version of the Yankees rotation has Luis Severino in it. And I want to get Dan Work, our wonderful producer's uh, input on this as well. Just because of, um, I don't know if I'm blinded with how Yankee fans are feeling right now with with Luis Severino. And again, I don't know if the Yankees are planning on re-signing Severino after the season. Again, a, a reason why he may become trade bait. But it does feel like at the moment it's a marriage that's going to end. So I wonder also if the Yankees would perhaps maybe put him back in the bullpen and let him transform into relief mode because he could become that beast reliever that we have seen in the past, perhaps mm-hmm. uh, with, with Rodon and, and Cortez coming back. I'm curious to see if that's a route that they go. The temptation for them to unlock the ideal starter within Luis Severino is probably always going to be there. It's really a, a tough bridge to walk on right now, but Dan, what are you, what are you seeing? What are you feeling as a fan right now with uh, Luis Severino? Who's the longest tenured Yankee. Yeah, I mean, as for the bullpen, I think it's pretty good backup plan because you go back to 2016, the last time he was really bad in the rotation, once the pen had like a 0.38 ERA, he was real good. It's weird, man, because, you know, anytime I would talk about Severino's future with a team, about re-signing him going to this year, it was always just the injury troubles. But now when you talk about it, people say, oh, he hasn't been the same pitcher since 2017, 2018. That's not really true. I mean, you go back to last year, he was really good. Had, a, I think, a 3.18 ERA and even one whip. He looked like Luis Severino. Obviously not the case this year. I don't think it's that much of a concern regular season-wise. I'm kind of not out in the division. Of course, it's still possible, but I'm, I anticipate the Yankees make the playoffs one way or another. So that being said, you get into October. Even if Seve isn't good enough to start there, I still do trust a four of Cole, Rodon, Nestor, Domingo Herman. I mean, James, you mentioned it too. Outside the two starts, Fenway and Seattle, he's had a really good year. ERA pretty much around three outside of those two clunkers. So I still do trust the rotation, even if Severino 
doesn't figure it out. And also, if they have to go with a bullpen game in the playoffs, maybe you could factor him into that as well, get one or two innings out of him. You have Clark as well, and the rest of the Yankee bullpen. It's weird, dude. I, I won't comment on like the mechanics of anything because you know I'm no scout, but he's definitely he's off. He's definitely off, and I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't concern me all that much to be honest with you because I still think the Yankees pitching staff is good enough to get by even if he's not right. Yeah, they're not counting on Luis Severino to be that number one guy, their number two guy right now. So it is, uh, it, it's probably a problem a, a little further down from from the top of the list for the Yankees right now. But it still is is a bit jarring to see him, yeah, getting hit at the rate that he has just because of the way you know James was describing it. A lot of the metrics, the the fastball velocity is still there, so it's a, a little puzzling with Luis Severino. Um, one more before we get out of here for this week. Carlos Rodon's finally making his Yankees debut on Friday against the Cubs. What are you sort of looking for and expect as Rodon gets his feet with over his first few starts with the Yankees? Well, he's he's a pretty simple, simple approach pitcher. I mean, he really, really relies on velocity, a high fastball, and then a, a slider down below. I mean, there's not a lot of it's not a lot of pieces to look for. It's it's really he is an old school guy. Here it is. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to work up the ladder with my fastball. I'm going to get a lot of swings and misses. I'm going to get a lot of pop-ups. And then my swing and miss pitch on top of that is a little back leg slider to righties or a slider away to lefties. So he's an easy read. He's an easy guy to follow. He's an easy guy to see early on if he's got it or not. The reports for the minor leagues are his fastball has been good. You know, I actually saw him throw on the side in L.A. Uh, on a side session when we were out when they were facing the Dodgers. And he looked good. The ball was jumping out of his hand. Mid nineties, you know, every pitch is measured now. Even on your side sessions, you can't hide uh, in, in today's game. All the all the iPads are out, all the high speed cameras are out. They're measuring every pitch you throw, even if it's a side session on in an empty stadium. They know what's going on, and he's looked pretty good so far. Well, it's easy to figure out what he's going to throw. He's a pretty simple approach, like you said, Coney. But he's hard to hit, and as frustrated as Yankee fans might be that it's you know we're after the Fourth of July and Carlos Rodon has not thrown a pitch in pinstripes for the Yankees. This guy's really good. You don't have to worry about him on the mound. Now the health he's had some injuries in his career and he missed the first half of this season. But you talk about a guy with over the last two years, 21 and 2022 fifth best ERA in the majors among pitchers with 250 plus innings. He's a big bat misser. He, he can overpower you with multiple pitches. He's a strikeout artist. He's a guy that, can really him and Cole can be a really strong one-two punch to bring you down the stretch and into the postseason. Is Carlos Rodon's arrival here uh, in in mid July is 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 it something that hypes up Dan Rourke? Is it something that hypes up Yankee fans? What are we what are we hearing, man? Very much so. Now I know he's not going to fix the offense or nothing, but one reason why I can still be pretty optimistic about this Yankee team is that as bad as the lineup may be they still, in my opinion, have probably the best pitching staff in baseball. And that's a pretty big thing. That's that's half the game right there. So that being the case and getting Rodon back, I can take that, get excited, and be like, all right, this part of the Yankees team is good enough, in my opinion, to win a World Series, and he only adds to that. And he's just an absolute dog. Fun to watch. I like a good fastball pitcher. I read a stat that from 21 to 22, no pitcher in baseball has had more swings and misses on their fastball than Rodon. And, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to have him back, for sure. Well, not have him back, but to, to finally have him, I should say. And he's a guy that's good enough pitch for pitch where he can provide so much value, even if he only makes 
13 or 14 starts this year or whatever it is, he can be as valuable in that than more valuable doing that than many pitchers making 25 or 30 starts. So it's a, it's a really good situation that the Yankees are in to have Cole. He's rolling. Rodon, you're trying to sort out Severino and Cortez. You have Herman and Schmidt as the depth guys, but this guy could be a real game changer the rest of the way. And Rodon has a lot of the, uh, talent, as much talent enough to make up for in, in value, like like what James was saying. The, the talent is there where he can surpass certain pitchers with, uh, in, in terms of value within just a handful of starts. So it's going to be interesting to watch. It's been longer than anyone anticipated when Rodon went down with that forearm injury in spring training, but I think he is going to build himself up with each of the first several starts and show why he was worth the wait here in 2023. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you do not miss a single thing with what's going on with what we're streaming each and every week. For David Cohn, for James Smythe, for our outstanding producer, Dan Work as well. This is Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next week on Tone of the Slab, pitching with David Cohn. As always, a production of John Boy Media. Take care, everybody.